Most gracious and heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being such an amazing God. I want to thank you for this day that you've given us. A day that is such an amazing opportunity to just put everything aside. There's so many things to worry about in the world. And you told us who by worrying can add one more inch to their stature. Lord knows, you you know I've tried. And so, Father God, I, I recognize that doesn't matter what troubles we have and doesn't matter what we're going through. We can all lay that aside and just come here to your house of prayer. We can bring it before you. We can worship together. We can praise together. And now that we're about to open the scriptures together, we dare not do so without calling upon the power of your Holy Spirit for wisdom, clarity, and understanding. So I humbly ask, Father God, that you anoint my lips, that the words presented here be not mine but yours. And I ask for my brothers and sisters in the church that you prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message. Bless us and keep us right now. Work in our hearts. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Find your way to Matthew chapter 18. And as you're getting there, it's quarter of 12. What time do we finish here? 12? All right. Sounds good. Amen. So find your ways to Matthew chapter 18. Work your way there. And when you have a say amen, so that I know that you have it. And as you're working your way there, with my children when they were younger, just when they were learning to talk and they were repeating words, I started working with them on doing prayers. And I remember when I was a kid, all of the prayers that I learned in Puerto Rico growing up, and I understand that you have similar prayers um, in, in English. Something like, you know, God is good and God is great. Let us thank him for our bread. Or God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You know, I got in both ways. As long as it finishes with food, I think we got it correctly. But you, you memorize the prayers and you go through them really quickly. And I notice with my children, we will go very simple. Very, very simple. Jesus, you know, it's Jesus. Thank you for the food. Amen. Jesus, protect us in the way, because, you know, my dad always told me, even before I got into ministry, when you're driving, you are crazy, but there's other crazy people out there. So you always pray before you take off in the car for protection and mercy and angels' wings to just to just cover you. So I taught my children, Jesus, protect us in the way. Amen. Jesus, protect us now that we're going to sleep. And then we mentioned the names. Be with mommy and daddy and Julie and Ariana and Jaylene and grandma and even our cat Max. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But very basic prayers. When I was younger... I had to memorize, and I noticed my kids started to memorize them too. So suddenly, I'm getting ready to pray for the food. Jesus, thank you for protecting us in the way. I'm in, and it's like, wait, hold on. Because you kind of just go through, through them, memorize, and you don't realize what you're really saying. My God is a God that you can talk to. He's a God of conversation. And yes, just as a child has to crawl before they walk and walk before they run, at first you have them repeat after you prayers, and it may become routine. But prayer shouldn't be something you just recite randomly. It has to be a vivid conversation, a live conversation. When you memorize prayer over and over and over, it could get you in trouble sometimes. Like praying for the food when you're about to drive or praying for traveling mercies when you're about to eat and you get it all backwards. Or perhaps you say a prayer like, you know, our Lord's Prayer. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know the prayer, right? We, we, we read it today for the scripture reading. Some of you were saying it from, from there. 
What is that peace here? You know, give us this day our daily bread, right? right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the conclusion is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? But remember that sentence right there in the middle of the prayer? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We fly through that prayer. We have a memorized And yet we don't realize what it is that we are saying. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It adds a conditional clause. And it is not that God forgives us because we forgive, but he forgives us as we forgive. And today's message is going to focus on that. This is a very hard concept to grasp. Peter had a difficult time with it. Go with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, because you see, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, and Peter is like, okay, okay, so so what you're saying is that if I, you know, how many times do I forgive my brother? This is on, if you're following along, verse 21. So what you're saying is that if I forgive my brother seven times a day, then I'm good. So number eight, watch out, because I already met my quota, and you are in trouble if you're the eighth one. See, he tried to apply logic to something that's not logical. We do that as humans. We try to be systematic. We try to come up with a set of rules of what we need to do or not to do and how things function. We try to do that with salvation. We try to do that with church. We have a checklist at the door. If you dress this way, look this way, behave that way, okay, you're good to come in. When Christ says, come as you are. And yet we try to add rules and restrictions as to how they need to work. And Peter tried to do that. He says, okay, I understand the forgiveness thing. So I could maybe, you know, turn the cheek a couple of times, forgive us seven times, and then we're good. Right, Jesus? Is that how it works? And he's like, oh, Peter, stubborn, hard-headed. You know, his name was Petros, but it's probably because he was hard-headed like a rock. So he says, look, let me, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you how it works. And I'm going to read the scriptures here. Follow with me. Chapter 18, verse 22. It says, I say to you, uh, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, does he really mean 490? So 491, watch out. No, not at all. He says, look, the kingdom of heaven is like, and by the way, I have to tell you that the Bible is not telling the truth 100% here. I know you're saying, what does this mean? No, no, let me tell you what it says. When it talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's describing you, the people. You are the kingdom of heaven. Don't think that this is when we get up there, then I can start forgiving people and taking care of people. When he says the kingdom of heaven, it's like it's you right here, you the church. In Matthew 25, when it talks about the three parables, the virgins and the talents and the sheep and the goats, and it says the kingdom of heaven is like, every time you see the kingdom of heaven is like, you need to say, this is what Joey ought to be like. This is what Bill ought to be like. This is what we need to be like. Understand? So don't think that it's up there once we get there. Transformation begins right here. So the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. Verse 24, I'm reading from the New King James. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. How many? 10,000 talents. Verse 25, but he was not able to pay his, uh, his master commanded that he be sold 
with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment be made. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay it all. Verse 27. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him. And took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay it all. Verse 30. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Verse 31. So his fellow servants saw what had been done. They were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Verse 32. Then his master, after he had called and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Verse 33. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? If you daydream while I was reading all of that, let me recap this story very briefly. Here you have a king who's going over his accounts, and he had a servant that was working for him who was taking money of the top of the pot. He owed him so much that it came up to be 10,000 talents, approximately $1.9 billion in our currency today. Now, I told you guys last week how much is $1 billion. Remember that? If you were to spend $10,000 a day from birth, it would take you approximately 273 years to use up $1 billion, let alone $1.9 billion. But I put it to you even further into perspective. It was approximately 500 years of labor days for the average wages at the time. So when the servant begged the master, have pity on me, forgive me, and I will pay it all. Even if I gave you 500 years, even if you lived that long, this is a debt that you cannot pay. This is a debt that can only be forgiven. That's the situation that this wicked servant was in. But the master forgave him that debt that could not be paid. That could only be forgiven. And he comes out of the, the, the prison. He comes out of the jailhouse. He gets his stuff, you know, gets his cell phone, checks everything out, walks out. And as soon as he walks out the gate, he sees someone across the street that owes him a hundred denarii, which is only about $3,200 in our currency, only a hundred days of labor for the average wages at the time. And what does he do? He grabs him by the neck, yokes him up. And the guy who owed him the hundred denarii, it's almost like he was listening to the conversation earlier because he repeats the exact same words. Oh, master, please have mercy on me. Give me some time and I will pay it all. And what did he choose to do? He chose to not have mercy and throw him in prison. The other people that were around and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The master just forgave you a 500-year debt. billion dollars and you couldn't forgive this guy a hundred days 3200 and now you're going to throw him in jail so they told the king and the king says wow you wicked servant why could you not have forgiven him the way that I forgave you why see understand this concept of forgiveness Forgiveness was made available to this servant, but he did not understand the great 
miracle and grace and blessings that were bestowed upon him. He didn't really understand that. And that's why he failed to reciprocate. That's why he failed to pass that along and give this other servant who owed him just a little bit of money the same forgiveness and grace that was given him. Because he failed to understand this. And many of us here struggle with that. Many of us, it's a lack of recognition of the grace and mercies that have been bestowed upon us. People in the church, sometimes they mess up a little bit and we try to beat them up. You know, Dr. Phil says, there's something about you I really hate about me. And so I'm going to be nasty to you because you remind me of me. And we do that. We fail to recognize the mercies that has been bestowed upon us. Another reason why we fail to forgive is because of pride. You know what? I, I, I'm not going to humble myself before anybody. Yeah, it'll be all right. You know, I'm just going to do whatever. And, and that's okay. I remember my, my brother and, and my dad. They were mad at each other for like a month. And so my brother comes to the house and they look at each other. We good? Yeah, we good? Okay. That was it. There was no apologies done. There was no conversations. The issue wasn't addressed. And they just sort of try to just blow it off. That doesn't help either. Forgiveness has to be asked for. Forgiveness has to be granted. The other pride issue is when we are wronged. So there's three reasons why we do not forgive people or forgiveness doesn't take place. We don't understand what has happened. We don't understand the grace and mercies that have been given to us. We are too proud to ask for forgiveness or we are too proud to grant forgiveness. You know what? You wronged me. Why would I forgive you? You need to come from, to me and gravel, beg a little bit, hop on one leg. You know, let's see what you can, let's see what else you got before I even grant you forgiveness. But it is not how it works. After all, when God forgave you, was it that he was wrong and you were right? No, you were wrong, he was right, and yet he came down to die for you and me. And so when people have wronged you, the more reason why you should go out of your way to go and grant them forgiveness, especially when you are in the right, then you have a larger responsibility at hand. Can you think of anyone that you've wronged or anyone that has wronged you? Can you think of anyone that you haven't talked to in a while? That name, that person, those people, that family that has come to mind is the people that you need to think about as we continue to look at the scriptures for today. Go with me to chapter 18, verse 1 of Matthew. Same chapter, go a little bit earlier. So you see the pride concept, how the chapter began. Now we saw the ending. Let's go, let's go to the beginning now so you get a chance to see this. Look what happens. And at that time, this is chapter 18, verse 1. And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because, you know, they, they wanted to be next to the king. You know, it's who you know after all, right? And then Jesus called, verse 2, a little child to, to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are converted and turn into a little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do you guys think that you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven? I remember when I was younger, I would get mad at my dad, and like two seconds later, I would go over and start hugging him and kissing him. And then as I got older, it would be more like a day later. As I got older, it was more like maybe a week, 
little bit older, maybe like a month. And I noticed that as I aged, my grudges lasted a whole lot more than just a couple of seconds. A whole lot more. Children have this ability to truly, genuinely just forgive and forget and not hold any grudges. But as we get older, we grow more bitter and bitter. And the nice, sweet, soft heart of flesh turns into a bitter, cold heart of stone. But we have a God that can transform our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. This is why we are reminded that we need to be like little children. We are supposed to be spreaders of mercy and grace and love. And we need to be the first ones to be like children in spreading that love, that mercy, that forgiveness without holding any grudges whatsoever. That's how we ought to be. And as a church who have been forgiven much, the fact that you're here this morning and you've been forgiven much tells me that you have received grace won't you pass it on? Hmm? Keep going with me in the chapter. Let's go to, um, let's go to verse 15. Because forgiveness goes a little bit deeper. Same chapter, verse 15. Look what it says in verse 15. And this is probably one of my favorite parts to study. People love to beat me up all of the time. But it's okay. We'll, we'll read this. Verse, 14, verse 15 of chapter 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell them his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have what, church? Gain your brother. You see, understand something. You, you see where we're going to, to right here. It, it, it says, if someone sins against you, if someone messes up, if someone crosses you, if someone does whatever, if someone is doing something that they're not supposed to, you go talk to them. You go reach out to them. You prayerfully consider things with them. And if they change their ways, you have gained a brother in Christ. If not, then that brother is lost. You have gained a brother in Christ. So go ahead and try it. First step, you along with that individual. You save them. Glory, hallelujah, to the Luya, Right? Then... If they fail to listen, verse 16, but if he would not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay? So, if you take one more with you, then how many of you is there? Two. If you take two more with you, how many of you is there? Three. So, two or three, right? Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, Tell it to the church, but if he, if, he, if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, many churches, many churches, they, they get this wrong. Look at verse 20 real quick. It says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Many times we use that in church when we come up to prayer meeting or Sabbath school and only two or three people show up. It's okay, church, where two or three are gathered, he is here in our midst. Well, I'll tell you, you don't need two or three. Wherever you are, my omnipresent God, my God that is everywhere, is there with you. However, this verse is taken out of context. It is not when only two people show up to prayer meeting that, that God is necessarily in your midst. He will be in your midst regardless, yes. But it is talking about when you are in the business of grace, forgiveness, and healing. See, many churches think that this is a strike one, strike two, strike three, you are out kind of thing. You know what I mean? Strike one, I go talk to you. If you've changed, I've gained a brother in Christ. If you don't, strike one. 
Number two, I'll take one or two more with me. So we're two or three are gathered. We are there. If you change your ways, we gain a brother in Christ. If not, that's strike two. We'll take you to the church. If you've changed, we've gained a brother in Christ. If you don't, strike three, you're out. But it is not how it works. The word for treat, like treat them like a heathen or a tax collector, is uh, in the Greek, is the way that you would treat a wound. My doctors and nurses here, you treat it. You don't mistreat it. You don't poke at it and then throw dirt at it and show it off in front of people and then throw it out. You treat it. How did Christ treat heathens and tax collectors? Even if you don't know any Greek, you know that he ate with them and he mingled with them. It always messes me up when we do evangelistic series, when we try to go ahead and bring people in. You know, we're doing the uh, revelation a little bit later today, and we say, yes, guess, welcome. Jesus loves you, and we're all happy. But the minute you become a member, you mess up once, and you're out. We even skipped the first two strikes of Matthew 18. It's not how it works. This whole chapter is about forgiveness and mercy. This is why in verse 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathering my name, I am in their midst. And Peter says, okay, ho, ho, I understand what you're saying, but hold it right there. So how many times do I forgive my brother? In verse 21, he says, till seven then? And then you know how the rest of the chapter finishes. When I was uh, 12 years old, there was a 13-year-old girl, because there's, there's always a girl, uh, 13-year-old girl in, 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 my, in my Spanish church, and um she had gotten pregnant. And I remember she was a friend of mine. You know, she, we were in Pathfinders together and all of that. And, and she was brought before the church. I don't think strikes one and two were even addressed. She was brought before the church in a business meeting. And we stood her up there and said, she has violated one of those commandments between one and ten in somewhere in Exodus 20. And as a result, we think that this deserves, let me see, this punishment is worthy of six months away from the church and activities and whatever. When we did that to that young lady, a family of eight left the church. A family of eight left the church. See, we have a problem. The Bible says that if you break one commandment, you are guilty of them all. When was the last time we brought you liars before the church and say, hey, or you guys who are using that tongue to gossip about people. You know, Christ took it further in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that when you talk bad about someone, or even when you get mad at someone, it's the same as killing them. And you're thinking, oh, I will never kill anyone. When was the last time you got angry at someone? Because Christ equated that with murder. Come on, church, you can't say amen, say ouch. And yet, because it's not a visible sin, you know, because it's not a visible thing like that pregnant young lady where you see it all out, out here, then, 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 you know, we could hide it. And that's the most troublesome thing. The, the outward sins that are visible, you know, that you see it is clear. But the ones that we are, that we don't see, remember who you are when no one is watching is truly who you are. And understand, yes, mercy indeed. And so we are in the works of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Treat them like a heathen or a tax collector. I mean, think about it. If I want to talk to my brother one-on-one and I pray with him in Christ in a good spirit, not, nothing to do nagging, criticizing, or anything like that. It was simply in love with my brother to pray for him and be with him. And he changed his ways. I gained it. But if he didn't, man, this goes deeper than what it is. If two or three go speak with him and still doesn't get it, this is even deeper. If the church says, bro, we love you. 
and you're still not getting it, we need to love you even more because something ain't right and we need to work with that. We need to work with that. I, when I was pastoring in South Bend, Indiana uh, some years back, um, I learned something from the senior pastor and, I, and, and it reminded me of this young lady that I told you about when I was a kid in the church. Young lady, parents were separated. She stayed with dad always. But on the summers and holidays, went with mom at a whole other state away. Went over there with mom, came back pregnant. And so the pastor of our church says, you know what? We're going to love her. We're going to take care of her. This is scary enough as it is. Her whole world is going to be upside down. And as a church family, we need to embrace this young lady. The church even threw her a baby shower. And we celebrated when the baby came. We looked after her. When the mother who had cheated on the husband at the time and left with a whole other man, developed a whole entire family, new kids were born, etc., saw how the church treated her daughter in the midst of her failure and sin, she recommitted herself to God and her, her entire family came back to the church in their state where they were because they saw love and mercy in action. See, understand that it is not that we're condoning such behaviors, but we're not condemning it either because the judge and the advocate is Christ. The accuser is the devil. And when we get our roles mixed up and try to take the, the work of God or the work of the devil, we get ourselves in trouble. So if you're accusing, you're a child of the devil. If you are judging, then you think you're God. Either way, you are in trouble. It is not our job to do any of those things. The accuser is the devil. The judge and the advocate is Christ. Our job is to create a meet and greet between the sinner and the Savior. That's it. That is our job. And when we do things the Bible way, instead of those eight persons that till this day have not gone to the church and her older brother got killed about a decade ago, out of the church, dealing drugs and in all of that stuff, those families could have been saved if the church would have responded the way that it should have. And yet here you have the other church that did something kind and looked after that individual, loved that individual in spite of, looked beyond the scene, the, the, the sin, and looked at the individual's heart. A whole other family came to the feet of Jesus. Forgiveness is key. Grace. God says that my grace is sufficient, but I would never know that grace unless people like you tell me what that grace is like. Chapter 18 of Matthew, same chapter, verse 10. Go, go back a couple of verses. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 11. Now, before I go to 11, understand that the little ones don't apply to just the little children. Every person out there that you cause to stumble, take heed. Every person out there that you despise, ooh, take heed because that is a child of God. It messes me up with people when they say, oh, I don't want to go to church because there's a whole bunch of hypocrites there and this and that. That's fine. You're probably the first one, and that's okay. You're probably the biggest one, and that's all right, too. This is a hospital. It's like me saying, I broke my leg, or I hurt my arm. I need surgery, but I'm not going to go to the hospital because there's a whole bunch of sinners there. I mean, a whole bunch of sick people there. Well, it's a hospital for sick people. A church is a place for sinners. Welcome, everyone. Actually, you must be a sinner in order to enter. The Bible says, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick 
So it is okay to come to this place, a spiritual hospital full of sinners. It is all right. It's not okay to talk bad about God's church because the Bible says that the church is Christ's bride and no groom takes it lightly when you talk about his wife. No matter how crooked some things may be and how messed up some things may be, it is still his bride to be nonetheless. And God accepts us exactly as we are and he will better us and he will edify us. He will sanctify us. He will work in us. That's what he will do. But he says, come as you are. My, my little, you know, weird looking wife It's okay. I still love you. But I can say that nobody else can. Do you understand how that works? When you talk about his bride, you're talking about his bride. So you need to watch out. Don't despise any of the little ones. Why? Verse 11. For the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Verse 13. And if he should find it, as surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep then over the 99 that did not go astray. Verse 14, even so, even so, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that any of these little ones should perish. The reason for this concept of forgiveness is because it is not the will of my Father that any of his little ones should perish. And how do we do that? By spreading the message of forgiveness and grace. We don't condone the behavior, but we don't have to condemn it. It's like that adulterous woman when she was brought before Jesus. Where are those that condemn you? Neither do I. Go and don't do it again. He didn't say go and just keep doing whatever you want. Living la vida loca. That's all right. No. He said just go and don't do it again. But where are they that condemn you? Neither do I. And so when we look at our brothers and sisters around us, take heed that you do not condemn and get your roles all mixed up. But do reach out in mercy and in love, in forgiveness and in grace. And so I have a request to make now, and, and I'll pray a little bit at the end for the benediction, but I want to pray right now a special prayer for this. Remember earlier when I said, remember that person or persons or that family that you haven't talked to in a while? Remember that person that you know is mad at you or you're mad at them? Maybe you hurt them or maybe they hurt you? We need to uplift that situation in prayer because it is a commandment of God to seek forgiveness. It is a commandment of God to grant forgiveness. Oh, wicked servant, why could you not have forgiven them the way that I forgave you? Why couldn't you have mercy on that individual or that family the way that I had mercy and pity on you? Are we a faithful servant or are we a wicked servant? And I'm not saying that it is easy. It's very easy to love lovable people, but unlovable people, whoo! That is very, very difficult. I'm not saying that forgiveness immediately means reconciliation either. Because there are some situations that are not safe. I shared the example this morning in Sabbath school. You know, if you have a, that husband, that spouse that has beat you and put you in the hospital 20 times, it's probably not safe for you to reconcile. But it doesn't mean that you cannot grant that forgiveness. 
The person may already be dead and you think it may be too late, but you can still forgive that individual. You can still do that. There are people that still haunt us the rest of our lives for things that have happened in the past. But my God is a God of healing, reconciliation, and new beginnings. And so I want to encourage you to uplift that individual or those individuals in prayer. And especially when they're wrong, that and you are right, that you go out of your way to make that healing and that forgiveness take place. So I want to pray with you. And during the prayer, I'm going to give it a moment of silence where you will have an opportunity to share with God that person or persons so that the healing can begin right now. And the actions to follow can be ordained by God. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for being such an amazing God. Father God, <laughs> this topic really stinks. Because I know when I do something wrong, you know, I'm the best graveler in the world. Please forgive me and pretty please with cherry on top. And I'm good with that. But man, there are some people that have crossed or hurt me. And it is so difficult to grant that forgiveness. It is so hard. It is so tough, especially with the severity. Now, I recognize that in your eyes, when you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of them all. When you break one commandment, you break them all. But us as humans, we put them in different categories. There are some sins that we can forgive much easier than others. There are some other ones that it's like, no, no way. So it is a struggle. It is real. It is genuine. But Father God, you were so gracious to forgive me. You were so gracious to forgive us. And I know that if we started sharing our stories here, honestly, sharing our sins and our struggles and where we've been in our past, perhaps where we find ourselves right now at this very moment basking in whatever sin or iniquity that may be, we will be shocked and surprised. But yet you still say, my grace is sufficient. If you repent and confess your sins to me, you will forgive them all. And so, Lord, this is a very big ask. It is very difficult. But I want to ask, Father God, that you be with me and my family here. That as we consider those individuals or that particular individual, that particular family, that particular situation where forgiveness is lacking, that you pour out your hearts in our lives so that we can spread that mercy and grace so that there is a greater chance for not one of your little ones to perish. Because how will they know mercy and forgiveness unless we are the ones to spread that to them? My God, I am reminded of the words of Auntie Ellen in Desire of Ages 142, where it says that you could have finished the work all by yourself, but in order for us to develop a character like you, we must be partakers in your life-saving mission. In order to see the lost souls redeemed, we must be partakers in your work of redemption. Father God, may you work in us and through us for the benefit of all. And at this moment, I will be silent and let the members privately and quietly in their mind share with you that individual or those individuals in that situation, whatever it is, so that you could begin to work your restoration in it. Lord, hear our prayers, and we thank you in advance for the work that you will begin in our lives right now. Bless us and keep us. It is my prayer 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.